In order to have a plot in a story, it requires some sort of challenge, conflict, or hardship in which the main character must overcome. Usually this conflict comes by way of a villain. In fact, the bad guy is so essential to many of the stories that we know that they are sometimes as popular or more popular than the hero or the heroine. It's difficult for us to imagine Star Wars without Darth Vader, or Batman without the Joker, or Hansel and Gretel and Sleeping Beauty without the witches. And throughout the Bible, this theme is also present, starting with the snake in the Garden of Eden all the way to the great dragon in the book of Revelation, we see many examples of the villain with the premier role belonging to that of Satan in the Bible. If Satan is the main antagonist in the Bible, then it is Judas who is his main collaborator. In fact, in the book of Luke and in the book of John, we are told that during the Last Supper, Satan actually enters inside of Judas right before he betrays Jesus. Judas is often viewed with contempt, at least with Peter who also betrayed Jesus by betraying him three times. Uh, there's some redemption at the end, yet with Judas, all we have is a despicable betrayal followed by his tragic suicide. And perhaps that's why we really don't like to talk about Judas, because there's not a happy ending for him. Yet the Bible insists that the story of Judas is necessary. Jesus mentions his betrayal sev several times, and Peter echoes the words of Jesus when he says that the betrayal took place in order to fulfill Scripture. The scripture that he's referring to is Psalms 41 verse 9, which reads, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, who I shared bread with, has turned against me. Jesus says, Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Well, this gets us into all types of theological conundrums in which we might question, well, God, that doesn't seem very fair that somebody's born strictly to betray the Son of God. Then we might ask other questions like, well, why was people like Hitler born? What was the purpose of that, especially when there's children who've done nothing wrong, dying from starvation or disease? And this line of questioning will inevitably lead us to the main question is, well, what, God, why did you allow evil to enter into the world in the first place? And of course, there's no easy answers for this. and We won't answer this within the scope of this sermon. But we can make a couple of speculations. The philosopher Alan Watts likened good and evil, light and darkness to a game of chess. In order to have a game of chess, you need dark spaces and dark pieces. If you take away the dark pieces and the dark spaces, then there simply is no game of chess. Much like taking away the bad guy in a movie, there is no story or movie. There re requires some sort of duality, or at least the perception of duality, two opposing pieces. And many people think, well, God is on the light side and the devil is on the dark side. But on the contrary, God transcends the very concept of what we see to be as good and evil. In the scripture that was read, the disciples are praying to God asking them to help him or help them replace Judas. They say a prayer which says, God, you know the hearts of men, show us who you choose. And then they simply roll dice, believing that God will work things out. 
And this is how they come up with the 12th disciple to replace Judas. For them, random selection and probability are intertwined within the will of God. This is hard for some Christians to believe, especially if they are skeptical of science or evolution. It presents the idea of a world that is random and not ordered, which can be scary. Yet this story shows us that God's order is incomprehensible. When Judas is about to go betray Jesus, look at what Jesus does. He doesn't say, I know what you're about to do, Judas. Don't do it. He doesn't say, Judas, how could you do this to me after all I've done for you? Rather, Jesus goes to Judas and says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Not only that, but Jesus specifically waits until Satan enters inside of Judas, and that's when he tells him what you're going to do, do quickly. So in a sense, Jesus is not talking to Judas, not exclusively, but rather Satan who has entered inside of Judas and is now manifesting the will of God, which is to bring about the redemption of humanity. And to us, this doesn't seem like a good plan at all. Why not just not create Satan in the first place? But much like Jesus who conspires with Judas or conspires with Satan, if we look to the very first book of the Bible, God not only placed an obstacle or a choice by placing the tree of good and evil in the garden, but he also placed the tempter, the snake, to be there as well. Why? The author and former monk Stephen Batchelor notes that the root word for Satan or Satan means adversary, to oppose or to plot against. And in Jewish tradition, they don't necessarily see this as evil, but rather as a necessary obstacle. The, in the Greek, it's diabolos or devil, one who throws something across the path. So Jesus recognizes that Judas is necessary because there is no crown without a cross. There is no day without night. There is no sun without moon. There are not beautiful spring days without the rain, lightning, and thunderstorms. The very fabric of existence is a delicate balance between good and evil, light and dark, order and chaos, life and death. I have come to see that life is very much unpredictable, spontaneous, and by all accounts filled with surprises that are both pleasant and horrific, and this is what it means simply to be alive. So perhaps we should not run from the demons in our lives, but rather like Jesus, accept them into our circle and recognize that they're there to help us to grow. By no means am I suggesting that we put up with an abusive relationship or don't challenge the injustices that we see in society. Rather, I'm pointing out that most of the demons that we fight are not on the outside, but rather on the inside. And if you find yourself constantly fighting with demons on the outside, then perhaps it is simply a projection of what's going on in the inside. Much like Jesus who handed the bread to Judas without putting up a fight, fully aware he was about to be betrayed, we are called to let the Judas inside of us play the role that it is to play. Perhaps I could use a movie as an analogy. One of my favorite movies is the 1983 remake of Scarface. There's a scene where Tony Montana, played by Al Pacino, uh, has risen to the ranks of drug kingpin of Miami during the 80s. Even though he's reached this amount of success, 
he's sprung out on drugs and in a unhappy marriage and his wife who's at the restaurant with some of his bodyguards and friends they get in this argument and it gets so heated that she th throws water in his face and the entire restaurant looks at what's happening and she says I'm leaving you and then goes out of the restaurant with all of the wealthy elite Miami folks looking at Tony Montana and he gets up in a drunken stupor and goes into a tirade and says what are you looking at you people need people like me. So you could point your finger and say, that's the bad guy. What does that make you, good? You're not good. You just know how to hide, how to lie. Me, I tell the truth even when I lie. <laughs> then he goes on and on and on. But the point is, there is a specific role that he's understanding he's playing as the drug kingpin in spite of the fact that you have crooked politicians and lawyers and people getting their money in a legitimate way. So in a way, he is the scapegoat. And perhaps that's why we need Judas in our lives so we can hide and point our finger and say, there's the bad guy. There's Satan who's causing all of these troubles in our life. Or we might say it's the government and all of these radical liberals or these fascist Republicans or we might say it's our parents or lack of parents. That's why we are in the trouble that we're in. But perhaps the reason you suffer is because of you. Perhaps the reason that I suffer is because of me. Maybe all of our hardships and the things that we have gone through are things that we have put on ourselves in some way or another. But that doesn't mean it's in vain. Perhaps it's for some reason that we're simply unaware of. This doesn't suggest that at the end everything's going to be just fine. It's not necessarily reality. The reality is that people get hurt. People who don't deserve to suffer are suffering, and there are people who die. We don't always get those answers. But we're not promised answers, and we're not even promised easy times. As Christians, we're called to believe. Specifically, we're called to carry our cross. And faith is easy when it's not tested. But when life gets difficult and during those times where it seems that life complete with the God and devil who feel like who it might feel like it's they're conspiring against us. It's times like that where our faith is most tested. As I alluded to earlier, there is no story without some sort of challenge, conflict or hardship in which you, the hero or heroine, must overcome. It's difficult to imagine Harry Potter without Lord Voldemort, or Superman without Lex Luthor, or the Wizard of Oz without the Wicked Witch. But we don't question why that villain is in that story. Rather, we know those villains play a particular role in which the hero must overcome. In fact, the more terrible the villain, oftentimes the better the story. And this just isn't in the world of fiction, there's a reason why we call Americans from World War II the greatest generation. They had to overcome one of the worst villains in Adolf Hitler. So let us recognize that these roles are playing out inside of us. And there are roles that we play every day in our lives. And like the disciples, we must do our best to represent Christ, roll the dice of life, say our prayers, and then leave the rest up to God. Amen.